Hello, audio listener. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. This podcast episode is a recording of our show that we air live on YouTube every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. That being said, we may be making references to things that can only be seen on screen. Don't worry, you're not going to miss out on any information because of this. Just some things may not make sense because we're making a reference to something that is on screen. And with that out of the way, thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the episode. Shalom, my homies, and how are you guys doing tonight? Welcome to another episode of, actually, this is technically not a Killing Your Church episode, but uh, this is a What Does It Mean episode. I guess they're kind of two different things. Sort of, a little bit, maybe. Welcome to another episode of Killing the Church. You know what we do here. We talk about doctrines that are killing the church and doctrines that need to be killed in the church. And today we're going over a common misconception uh, about blasphemy. So stick around for that um, because this is definitely a subject that uh, is not what most people think it is. There are a lot of misconceptions around the word about what it means, about what, uh, you know, Yeshua's own words when he talks in Matthew 12, verse 31, about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and all that. Um, so we're going to go over it. We're going to go over it in, in a lot of depth. I've got a ton of very technical notes. So if you've got a notebook, I would definitely be taking notes as well. We've got plenty of citations for you. And most importantly, if you are joining us here on Killing a Church, you know what we do here. What are you drinking tonight, Bradley? <laughs> I have something very special. Um, as do I. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have the same thing. We do, do we have the same thing. thing? Yeah. <laughs> so I have sampled already the bourbon rabbi once. However, they had a special event uh, where them and happy hour and Jews and booze all collaborated to uh, hold a fundraiser to help rebuild the Chabad house of Kentucky, of Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, it burned down earlier this year, just prior to Pesach. Uh, unfortunately, it's a terrible tragedy. Um, so uh, a certain amount from every bottle that was sold is going towards rebuilding that. And so here it is. We've got more the bourbon rabbi. And yeah, it's got a <laughs> it's got a whole different side thing going on. Now, this one is different, though. So the previous one is 57.5% alcohol, and I believe it's only aged two years. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. So this is aged four years, and it is 58.5. So um, it, it's 117 proof rather than 115 proof. So it is a little different, and I'm super stoked about it. I'm uh, opening this for the first time. Oh, I will be Lord. trying it tonight. So we're, we're having the same, uh, but yeah, this was obviously, you know, a little fun. So we haven't already. sampled the same thing uh, not in, in a long, long time. time. We, used we used to all the time. Um, oh, there's two wrappers on here. Oh, okay. Weird. Boom. <sighs> Let's see. I don't want to spill it everywhere by being dumb. You can definitely tell that it's uh, it's, it's a little stronger just off, just on the smell. You can tell it's stronger. So last week... Uh, we were actually premiering the pre-recorded episode on Acts chapter 15. Uh, and while we were doing that, um, I was drinking the original Bourbon Rabbi. Um, 
but obviously no one was there to see it. I have that bottle behind me here uh, because that was a pre-recorded episode. So, yep. Uh, let's see here. Well, what we have found out is that it gets better if you let it sit for a bit before tasting, but we don't have that kind <laughs> of time here. So, so uh, right. Everything's out of the way. If uh, okay, so a couple of things actually. Let's uh, we got to do a couple of things here. Um, switch this up. Cut the music for a tad. First and foremost, we got to thank our lovely sponsors. Um, there's one name that's not up here, um, and that's because I forgot to double check our website uh, when I made this um, banner a few a little while ago. Uh, but, uh, th that one name is grafted acres and they should be on the Talmudim side. Um, but everybody else up there you see is correct. Uh, so thank you to our, um, a special thanks to our top tier heretics. You guys rock. We love and, you guys. Uh, so this, this, uh, this video is sponsored by you guys. So thank you once again. And, uh, there was something else I had. Oh, and please comment below uh what do we got here where, where is it yeah what you're drinking and if you got any recommendations we're all about it in fact this was a gift uh so not this bottle the, the bourbon rabbi the regular one was a gift uh from i believe grafted acres uh, yes if i'm allowed to say that i hope i am thank you by the way for that first i still have it here um and it was based on a recommendation and then we saw she she also recommended uh the the jews and booze get together fundraiser thing and I yep. was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. So, um, yeah, as soon as yeah, I saw it, I was like, well, now I got to get another bottle. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, was, I was like, oh, me too. I, I got, if nothing else for the label. I mean, that, look at that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, I sent it out to everybody. I know, I know, I know my dad got a bottle um, and a few other people that I, that I sent it out to all got a bottle. So it just really trying to drive the tzedakah there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good thing. Uh, Chabad does great things for the Jewish communities all over the world. Yep. Um, and many, uh, this is kind of like a little known fact about Chabad. All of their rabbis in their particular areas, they're called uh, a shaliach, which means like it's the Hebrew equivalent of disciple uh, or apostle rather, sent one. And they they just go into the world with nothing. They go into a town that doesn't have a strong Jewish community and they, they buy a house basically and they turn that house into a Chabad house, into like a, a worship uh, hall and more or less live in abject poverty just so that they can be there for Jews that are traveling, so they can do Jewish outreach. Um, and yeah, they, they, they do a lot of, uh, there's a great, a great book, uh, one of our um, members here actually recommended uh, the Rebbe's army, I think it was, and it talks all about the, like this whole thing, how they, how Chabad operates. Um, and they are an outreach ministry. They do a lot of, a lot of really, really good work. Um, and, um, yeah, so I'm happy, happy to support. And it's, and that's a sad thing to hear when that Chabad house, you know, Kentucky is a large area for sure. And there's a couple of Jewish, small Jewish communities in the area. Um, but that's likely the only Chabad house in the entire city. Um, it, um, and so, yep. yeah, it's, uh, very sad. And so, you know, any, anything that we can do to help any little bit that we can contribute, I'm Absolutely. happy to do that. And also supporting the bourbon rabbi's business. I mean, that's, you know, yeah, yeah any chance to help him out. 
So, blasphemy. Let's oh jump into it. Uh, <laughs> let me get the stuff going on here. Boom. <sighs> Excuse me. So, blasphemy. What is blasphemy? I think the first the first verse everyone ever thinks of when this, this word kind of comes up is actually going to come from Matthew 12, verse 31. So we might as well start there. Go right ahead. Um, now, the only reason I'm starting in the New Testament first and foremost is because the word blasphemy is a Greek word. It is not, there's not really a Hebrew equivalent. Right. Uh, and we're about to go over why. And... Uh, when most people hear and think of the word blasphemy, they are thinking primarily of this verse in Matthew and all the other um, correlating verses in Mark and Luke in the synoptics. So verse uh, chapter 12, verse uh, 31. For this reason, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Um Okay, so whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, neither in this age nor in the one to come. Okay, so this is not the first time we see the word, um, but it's I think it's the first time in the New Testament that we see the word. I may be wrong there. Um, but it's, it is exactly that. Like, our English blasphemy is just a transliteration of the Greek word, blasphemia <laughs> it's the same word uh and so we're actually borrowing a word and so what is the definition of this word in greek what does it mean uh and this is where a lot of the notes are going to start coming out so uh the first and and this is this is so we're gonna we're gonna have to go in a couple of angles right so there are multiple contexts in which blasphemy uh pertains so I, I believe we're, you and I are going to kind of go back and forth. I'm going to go over the more like, here's the literal definition of the word. And then you're, yourself uh, are going to go over the, the other context of, in a legal sense, what blasphemy means according to the Sanhedrin, um, what it means in a religious context. Uh, so there's a lot of different contexts that we have to go over. Um, but again, since this is a Greek word and not really a Hebrew equivalent, uh, there is a kind of Hebrew equivalent, but in the Septuagint, um, the word blasphemia is never used in place of where we see the Hebrew word being translated into a blasphemy. Um, and so there's, there's almost no correlation. I, I think, in fact, the word blasphemia only shows up in the Septuagint in two places, Ezekiel and Chronicles, I believe. Uh, in the Septuagint, but anyway, so blasphemia. According to uh, a manual Greek lexicon of the New Testament by Abbot Smith, uh, this is on page 82 for those of you who are wondering, it is basically the word for verbal abuse or slander. That's what it means in Greek. <laughs> uh, it comes from two root words, uh, blapto and feme. Blapto meaning harm or hurt or injure, and fame meaning fame, report, to say, or rumor. Uh, so like a report, like to say something, fame, uh, to say your rumor. And so blapto fame essentially means a harmful report or to hurt somebody's fame or to injure uh, somebody's reputation. 
to spread a hurtful rumor, right? So it's essentially, and we've done an episode on this already, it's essentially a Greek way of saying Lashon Hara, the evil tongue, more or less, to say bad things. Right. <laughs> and um, uh, by the way, you are correct. Yeah, that uh, Matthew twelve thirty one is the first time that the word shows up in the New Testament. Okay, I thought so. I I, I think... I was going through the lexicon today, and I was I was pretty sure that that was the first time, but I I didn't know because it's also used. It's a common word in Greek. Um, it's used in a lot of places, uh, but it's not always translated as blasphemy. It's very selectively translated as blasphemy by your translators. Um, good examples of this. It depends on your translation, um, but like Acts chapter six, verse eleven and verse thirteen are two examples in which. A lot of translations render it as slander, um, which is more correct. Um, to leave to, to leave the word untranslated sort of does a disservice to the meaning of the word in certain instances. Um, not always. There are there are times in which leaving a word untranslated makes sense because the other you know it's it doesn't really have a one to one equivalent. But in this case, blasphemy is it, it does have a one to one equivalent in English, and it's basically slander um, or you know hurtful rumor uh lashon hara you know the evil tongue um and so slander is fine it, you know I, I feel like not translating i feel like not translating it instead uh and, and actually just transliterating it is a little misleading like it as though it is something that's different other than slander right it kind of gives the impression that it's a special sort of thing um when really <clears throat> it's it's not i mean i guess uh so yeah so uh th this is an interesting point too um and i'm actually going to read from a torah club volume here i got my bookmark set up okay so the matthew 12 verse real quickly um, cause this is a common, so this is going to be the first question I want to answer real quick, because this is a, a question that many Christians have. Um, why is it okay to blasphemy the Holy spirit or why is it okay to blasphemy Jesus, Yeshua, but it's not okay to blasphemy the Holy spirit. Um, and I've also heard, and it's inferred, um, but it's not, it's not said in the text anywhere, but it's inferred that you can blasphemy against God, the father and the son, but you can't blasphemy the Holy spirit because that's the only one. It, the, that's the inference, right? They're inferring into the text that because, you know, Jesus says only the Holy Spirit blasphemy won't be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Son. And then Trinitarian mind, people who have the Trinity in mind, they immediately think, okay, so blasphemy against God, the Father, and God, the Son is fine, but not against God, the Holy Spirit. That's a very Trinit. That's that's what happens when you're Trinitarian, too. You, you tend to infer Trinitarian doctrines into, into passages that are not Trinitarian. Right. This is a great example of that. So I have in my hands... This is a commentary, Chronicles of Messiah by First Roots of Zion, a Trinitarian organization. You can read their uh, statement of faith on their website. They affirm the uh, uh, J MJAA, I believe, Messianic Jewish, Jewish Alliance um, statement of faith, which is uh, very explicitly Trinitarian. But there's something to keep in mind when we're talking uh, about Mark and Matthew is these uh, were written before the Trinity was a thing. And so intellectually, they've been very honest in this, um, which I really appreciate. Uh, let's see here. Okay. I'm just going to read what they've got here. 
So the word blasphemy, blasphemia, blasphemia, has come to mean uttering words of sacrilege, but originally it just meant verbal abuse or railing slander. In Mark's version of the saying, all the sins and slander committed by human beings can be forgiven except for the sin of slandering the Holy Spirit. Uh, the one who slanders the Spirit never has forgiveness. He has committed an eternal sin. In Matthew's fuller version of the saying, even slander spoken against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but not one who slanders the Spirit will neither be forgiven in this current world nor in the world to come. Likewise, Luke agrees that slander directed against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but not slander to the Holy Spirit. Um, the term Holy Spirit refers to the power of God at work in Yeshua, and in this context serves as more of a circumlocution for God's name rather than a reference to the unique person of a triune being. That is a Trinitarian commentary saying this is not a statement of the Trinity. This is actually Jesus is likely using the Holy Spirit as a circumlocution uh, for God's holy name. Um, and this is very in line with what we're going to bring up next with you in, in the whole like Sanhedrin stuff. Um, but for those wondering, God is spirit. God is holy. His spirit is holy. Holy spirit. <laughs> and so holy spirit is in fact a, a often used as a circumlocution for just God. It's not a, some sort of separate being or anything like that. That's my little Trinitarian uh, little nod. Little tip. We, we haven't done another Trin We haven't done a Trinitarian episode in a while, but there you go. Yeah, we need to. So yeah, we need to do that. I've been wondering when we're going to do another one. Um, we need to go ahead and plan that out. <clears throat> yeah. Because um, I think we're at a point where we can start actually jumping into the historicity aspect of it. We already I started a little bit. Our started last started a little bit on primarily that. history. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I need to do an epilogue where we go through the area, the like the chronology of the Aryan controversy. Yeah, that that that'll be an interesting one. That will be. Oh. Um, okay. So, what is blasphemy in the religious context, my good sir? <laughs> so, um, there are a myriad of uh, examples that can be given here. So, it's interesting. I pulled up just to see what what would be said. Uh, Christianity.com has a, as generic as that sounds, um, has, has an article uh, about what blasphemy is uh, in its literal definition and in a biblical sense. And one thing that they do point out, actually, um, is that, let's see, the exact quote here. In the Old Testament, at least five different Hebrew verbs are translated uh, blaspheme in English translations. Translators cho uh, choose blaspheme when, for instance, uh, the verbs curse, kalal, revile, uh, gadaf, or despise, heref, uh, are used with God as the object. No special verb is reserved uh, for cursing or insults directed at God. Um, which that context is important here yes there is a special verb reserved for that that's kalal that's that's you know that's that is to actually curse, curse uh yeah. god a, a curse directed specifically at god um but for these others right to revile or to despise uh we find a few different examples of how these were understood so uh in mishnah torah uh, foundations of the Torah 5 uh, let's see uh, 510 what we see is whosoever willfully without duress will transgress one of the commandments of the Torah 
because he despises it and does so spitefully, behold, he is blaspheming the name. Um, so this this is an example of somebody who's doing something with uh, what's called a high hand, right? Or as it's mm. as it's said of uh, of Nimrod, you know, essentially one who shakes their fist at God. Um, it's, I'm glad it, you, I had a banner already ready for that. I'm so glad you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're doing we're doing the, the mind. We're thing doing again. the thing again. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that that like this is a very very specific example of open uh, rebellion that is rooted in the heart, right? This this is not just like an accidental or even an ignorant transgression. Uh, this is doing it because you know it's wrong, and you're doing it specifically to spite God, right? So so that is that is a curse to the name. Um, that 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 is blaspheming the name, uh, but. Additionally, in the very next verse, and this I found is interesting because it falls more along the lines of what we would understand to be avoiding the appearance of evil, right? Uh, the very next uh, verse here says, there are other things included in blasphemy, although they are not of themselves either among the mandatory or prohibitive commandments, as for example, when a great man famed for his learning and piety will do something that the public will suspect him on account thereof. Even though such deeds be not transgressions, uh, yet he has committed blasphemy, for example. And the example it gives is um, if he makes a purchase uh, but does not pay for it right then and there. So the deal's been struck. You know, he has, uh, you can say, claimed uh, the merchandise but has not paid for it just yet. Um, but he, he plans to in the future, and the the merchant has claimed his money, even though they don't have physical possession of it. Um, this could have the appearance of a lack of intention to pay back the debt, right? Uh, and, and it gives numerous other examples that 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 do go to exactly that. if 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 one such person does something that can be viewed by the public, uh, as something that they might judge him for, um, then this is considered a type of blasphemy uh, in that endeavor. But if we go to... So the first verse in the Torah, well, the verse in the Torah where blasphemy itself is specifically prohibited mm -hmm. is going to be uh, Exodus twenty-two twenty-seven which says you shall not revile God nor put a curse upon a chieftain among your people. So this is an interesting one, right? And, and there are uh, a number of commentaries that all echo the same sentiment here. So it, it says not to revile or curse Elohim. Now we understand that Elohim can mean uh, God, but it can also mean judges and in this case, that is, in fact, exactly how it is taken. It's not taken as one or the other, but rather as both. Uh, and for the Sanhedrin, this would make sense, right? Because Hashem established that the Sanhedrin speaks on his behalf. Their judgment is his judgment, right? So to therefore curse one who judges on behalf of Hashem is to curse Hashem, right? Um, this 
can have some very uncomfortable implications uh, for certain people who have very strong feelings uh, against modern Orthodox Judaism and especially the Pharisees of the first century. Because what our Messiah tells us <laughs> is that they sit in the seat of Moses, right? So the seat of judgment is theirs now. That That is what our Messiah says. Um, so to then curse them, which... Um, this is one of the reasons that I, I, I go to great pains whenever I see people just very generically referring to the Pharisees um, and and kind of propagating uh, the same vagueness that has left room for this kind of cursing. Uh, I try and correct it because, I mean, this is, albeit it, it, it may be done in ignorance, um, but this is kind of a heavier issue than people think it is. Uh, specifically because Messiah dictated that the seat of judgment was theirs, right? Um, so to, to speak the way that some people do against the Pharisees um, and current, current Orthodox Judaism uh, is blasphemy. <laughs> uh, but... To, to move on and this is this is where again we're gonna step on some toes here uh Leviticus 2411 right uh this is a big one so the verse one. the verse specifically says the son of an Israelite woman pronounced the name in blasphemy uh others other translations may even say that he blasphemed and pronounced the name right? Um, and was brought to Moses. Now his mother's name was uh, Shalomit, daughter of Debri, of the tribe of Dan. Now, what we can gather about what occurred here, right? Because there's there's a number of opinions that you'll hear about this, especially from the sacred name uh, side of the aisle. And that's that he used the name as a curse or that he cursed the name. Um, that's simply not what is relayed in the Hebrew of the text. What is relayed in the Hebrew of the text is that the blasphemy that he committed was saying the name. Right. And it's we even of, see that. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, you're, it's so it reads really weird um, for, for, um, for those who can't read the Hebrew. It's, it's very awkward. Uh, the first word being Vaikov, which is the word in question, often translated as blasphemy. Um, and certain, like uh, your like our art scroll uh, Tanakh here just has pronounced, um, likely because they're pulling from uh, Vaikra, which yes. means and to call. So Vaikov is is a possible derivative uh if you look up the strongs it says nakav is the root of the that word um and again a strongs is not always the the best uh resource for getting a definition it just determines how things are translated a great example of this is actually um exodus 3 where uh god says this is my name forever or concealed um, the Strongs will have you believe that it's Le'olam there, but if you read the actual Hebrew, it's not Le'olam, it's Lalem, which is a completely different word, a completely different Strongs word. Um, so the Strongs is, 
it's a good guideline, but you definitely definitely helps to know the Hebrew. So Faikov right. uh, did the son say, so he, he, he explicitly said the name of uh, the son of this Israelite woman, Et Hashem, Faikov Et Hashem. Um, so he literally, he said the name, Vaikalel, and that's that Kalel is the word that you were talking about, is to curse. So yes. it reads something along the lines of, and pronounced, did the son of this Israelite woman, the name and cursed, which is interesting. Um, and so it seems, so far, it seems that the problem is he said the name and he cursed in the same sentence. That's what it seems. Now, if you want to, if you want to go on, well, I'll get, as we circle to the verse 16, I'll get to why um, a difference is being made there, but go ahead. Right. Well, so yeah, I was actually gonna, gonna move on and read. Uh, let's see. It, it, it really kind of, so they bring him to Moses. That's kind of the verse that we see there in the interim. And then in verse 14, um, and to the, like thus, anyone who blasphemes God shall bear the guilt and one who also pronounces the name shall be put to death. The community leadership shall stone that person, stranger or citizen, having thus pronounced the name, shall be put to death. That is Leviticus 24, 14, and 15. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a little more direct. Yeah, so I have here, uh, maybe the numbering system is different. I got this verse 16. Uh, so, okay, so verse 15, And to the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, any man, and it just actually is just ish ish. It's just ish twice. So all yep. any all people, <laughs> ish ish, uh, ki kalel, if he will curse kalel. There's that curse again. So this is an explicit curse. Like this is a, a curse word or sentence. His God, Elohiv, his God. Um, and also Elohiv could mean, this is where you're talking about the judges, because uh, it's the word Elohiv here. It's yep. not the four-lettered Tetragrammaton. And so one interpretation of this verse is that we're talking about the judges. Um, and the reason is because in the next verse, it doesn't use Elohiv, it does use Hashem. So we'll get to that. Um, so he will curse his God, he shall bear his sin. Verse 16, Vanokev, now here's that, that weird word again. Vanokev Shem Hashem. Uh, so he, whatever this mystery word is, Vanokev, and whatever the name of Hashem shall be put to death. Um, and again, we've uh, argued in the past, and, and like Rashi's argued, and a few others, that this mystery word, which only appears um, very rarely and specifically here, uh, anywhere else we do see it appearing in the Torah, it's pronounced as the word um, to determine um, or to pierce. It's a very weird word. In fact, uh, let me pull out um, what we got here. Let me see what we got. Oh, did I, did I click out of it? I did. Ah, it sucks. Um, I don't want to have to search it again. Okay, but it shows up uh, very rarely. Actually, no, I did have it pulled up. I'm just dumb. Um and it's it's usually only in Leviticus 24 is it uh, going to be translated as blasphemy in most translations. Everywhere else you're going to see it. Uh, you're going to see it as like here it's uh, and bored a hole. So like dug a hole. 
pierced in Second Kings, uh, First Chronicles, it's designated. First uh, Chronicles sixteen designated again. Second um, Chronicles designated. So it actually does seem to, other than the other translation in which it seems to be boring or piercing a hole, it seems to be a designation, right? A, if you will, specification in which I would say to specifically pronounce the holy name is that specification, which is why it is kind of hard to translate because it otherwise doesn't really make sense. To, to He designated the name and cursed. That seems weird. So a lot of people put blasphemy in its place. Um, and the reason they put blasphemy in its place is because they know, most translators know that the historical meaning of the word blasphemy has uh, a Sanhedrinal context that it, it is connected with the direct pronunciation of the name. Yep. Yeah, Rashi, uh, his comment actually pulls from <clears throat> the Targum, uh, I, I believe the Targum Jonathan on this, uh, where he, he, so he renders Vaikov, right? Uh, he says, translate this as the Targum does. Right, and he pronounced, mm-hmm. um, which he says thus: it means uh, that he uttered the tetragrammaton and by doing so blasphemed. It was the proper name which he had heard on Mount Sinai. Now, because he references Targum Jonathan, I went ahead and and jotted that down also. So this this is the Targum Jonathan rendering of uh, Leviticus twenty four eleven. Which the Targum Jonathan would have been. Uh, it's so it's first century document. This is uh, this is how Leviticus twenty four eleven was interpreted and understood um, by the Jews of the first century, uh, which says thus. And when they had come out from the house of judgment, where he had been condemned. The son of the daughter of Israel expressed and reviled the great and glorious name of manifestation, which he had heard at Sinai, and defiled and uh, execrated. And the name of his mother was uh, Shilamith, the daughter of Debri, of the tribe of Dan. Now, additionally, going to verse 16, uh, what it says is, Whosoever expresseth and revileth the name of the Lord shall verily be put to death. All the congregation shall cast stones upon him, whether he be a sojourner or native-born. When he hath blasphemed the name uh, that is alone, he shall die. Yeah, so this is a very first-century context. Uh, It it makes sense. Um, There's a reason why we don't have, uh, and we've said this before, I think in our, I'm sure we've done a sacred name video, if not, we're about we're we're doing it again um but yeah we never see yeshua pronounce the name we never see him teach anybody to pronounce the name we see yeshua using all sorts of circular circumlocutions that are common for the day uh heavenly father holy be thy name right that's a that's explicitly a circumlocution um and uh we and what we know is at least from about the second century bce up until Yeshua's time in the first century CE, we basically know for a fact that nobody was pronouncing the name at this time and that it was a capital offense to do so. So I've always said, we know Yeshua never pronounced it. 
We know it was a capital offense to do so when Yeshua was alive. And we also know that when Yeshua had a problem, he was never afraid to voice that problem. He never voiced a problem with not pronouncing the name regularly. And, and again, he, he taught his disciples to pray using circumlocutions. So this is a practice that should continue. <laughs> we should continue to revere the name, uh, which brings me actually, interestingly enough, the Mishnah does record that during the first temple period time, um, the high priest would say the name loud enough that people could hear it. Mm -hmm. right? No one was really allowed to say it, but he would say it so loudly, proudly, that everyone could hear it. But when people did hear it, they would fall flat on their faces. They would totally prostrate themselves. They'd lay on the ground face down because it's just so holy. So even, even to that point, like even in a day and a time when the, the name of God was a whole lot more common. It was treated with a whole lot more reverence than you, you see today where people are putting the holy four-lettered name of God on a baseball cap. And they probably, you know, put that baseball cap on the ground, the table or, or whatever, you know, just in storage. Um, that's not, uh, you know, um, giving the sanctity that the name deserves, um, in my opinion. <laughs> the... It, it, so it's interesting, actually, because the way that they did this in trials, too, even, um, what you'll read in the Mishnah and the Talmud regarding this, right? When there was a case of blasphemy, right? Mm -hmm. um, all of the witnesses, everybody other than the judges, would be uh, sent away, right? Except for what would what would be considered to be the most reliable uh, the greatest of all witnesses um, in some in some versions will say the oldest because naturally wisdom comes with age right that's that's the idea um, and only then right when when they had limited the ears that would hear this blasphemy would they ask him to repeat verbatim what did you hear right yeah all the other witnesses it was insisted upon that they use a circumlocution correct for the name right and after right only after this greatest of witnesses relayed exactly what he had heard the other witnesses would be brought in to simply confirm what was heard right yeah and uh, and then after people rip their clothing and they're forbidden from repairing that clothing it is it is ripped and torn <laughs> yeah so yeah they would yeah it's a very serious thing and 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 that's and the only reason they would even make him say the name as a witness is because you do need to have the fullness of events if you're going to charge somebody with a serious death penalty yes uh, and so they were like we we don't don't work around everybody who doesn't need to be here go away we need to hear exactly what he said what you heard and the other two witnesses, you won't repeat that. You'll just simply say what he said is correct. And then upon hearing the name, they would rend their garments. They wouldn't repair those garments. Um, yeah, it's a very serious matter. Like they, the, the holiness of the name of God. Um, it's, you know, the level of reverence is sort of lost in today's world. But Oh, yeah. But uh, so that, according to the Sanhedrin, the word blasphemy is specifically a charge relegated to and explicitly for pronouncing God's holy name. Now, it doesn't always come with a death penalty. Uh, 
from what I read in uh, Tractate Sanhedrin, from what I read, it seems that if you just said the name, you would get, you'd be given lashes. If you said the name and cursed, that was a death penalty. Uh, if you cursed and said one of God's circumlocutions or titles, you would be lashes. given lashes. Um, so a death penalty was almost never given. In fact, I don't think it was ever given in the Second Temple period because by then the high priest would only ever say it on Yom Kippur in the Holy of Holies so nobody ever heard him. Right. Um, and there's even an account of a young uh, priest who was trying to listen to his father say the prayers. And uh, when it would come to the holy name, and this is on Yom Kippur, uh, he would let the voices of everyone singing around him drown out the sound of him pronouncing the name. So by the Second Temple period, this is definitely a, a practice. And that's this, is a, this brings up an interesting point. New Testament scholars have been puzzling over this for a long time because we all know that the charge for blasphemy is very particularly to um, say God's holy name or to curse God's holy name. Uh, the weird thing is that the Sanhedrin charges Yeshua with blasphemy when he says he will be seated next to the right hand of power. And that's the words that he uses, by the way. That's very specific. So New Testament scholars have always wondered, wait a minute, that's not blasphemy. Uh, Bart Ehrman notes this in his book, um, The Historical Jesus. Uh, and there's a few other who, who've said the same thing. You're like, that's actually not a blasphemy. And some scholars have sort of dismissed it as, well, we actually don't have any eyewitnesses during the trial. Um, so like Mark, Matthew, Luke, they were not witnesses to the trial and they likely, nobody they spoke to were witnesses for the tribal trial. Right. Right. Cause like, you know, where, where did they get that information from? This was a private meeting sort of thing. Um, and so a lot of them have dismissed it as sort of like, well, they're just embellishing or whatever. Um, but actually I like Bart Ehrman's answer, which is basically, um, the blast, you know, he, the blasphemy is that he was talking to primarily Sadducees. And Sadducees are loyal to Rome. And so to say the phrase, seated at the right hand of power, that is to say, I will be the next Caesar. And in their ears, to a Roman, that's blasphemy because that's usurping the Caesar. And, and, and that's the only reason that they would use that phrase. Um, and I tend to agree with that that proposition, actually. Yep. I, I And I think that the same charge was levied to Stephen also, Correct. Uh, I don't know if it was levied against him as blasphemy. I know they just started killing him. Um, let me see. <laughs> it's, it's Acts chapter 7. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I definitely think that the the Sadducee majority, especially in Yeshua's trial, where it, it's highly unlikely that there were any Pharisees present, um, much less, you know, a, a small handful. Um, yeah, I, I think that definitely is going to play a role in a difference on the definition of blasphemy here. Let's see. Uh, when they heard these things, they became enraged and began gnashing teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Yeshua standing at the right hand. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears, crying out with a loud voice, and they rushed at him with one impulse Driving him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid down their cloaks at the feet of the young man named Shaul. They went on stoning Stephen as he was calling out, Lord Yeshua, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out with a loud voice, uh, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. After he said this, he died. Then that begins chapter 8. They did not accuse him of blasphemy. They just started oh. killing him. 
Yeah. I was, I thought I was like, I'm pretty sure they just start killing that guy. In fact, the word blasphemia is used in Stephen's speech. Stephen says it and he says things like blasphemies against Moses and blasphemy against the temple. So he's using the word blasphemy as the word for slander. Ah. Um, yeah. So a lot of English translations leave it as slander because that makes the most sense to, uh, to most Christians. Um, but uh, it is the Greek word blasphemia there. Yeah. Uh, verse 11, when they, chapter 6, verse 11, Stephen's talking. They secretly interrogated men uh, into saying, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Um, and then verse 13, uh, we see it again. They set up false witnesses and said, this man never stops speaking words of blasphemy against this holy place and the Torah. So, um, that's, that's if you left it as blasphemy, but it's slander in a lot of translations. Right. Um, and I got a couple other things here. So is, and actually this is an interesting question because is this really an unforgivable sin? <laughs> and, and, it, and, and in many ways it can be because you could die in it, right? <laughs> right. Sure. Um, um <clears throat> I, I I think when we say unforgivable, right? What what, what are we talking about? Because the, the so the the issue, and we did a whole episode on grace. It's funny we had a few discussions on that here recently, also. Um, you know, what are we talking about? Are we talking about you know Olam Haze, this world? Or are we talking about Olam Haba, the world to come? Right? Um, because. If it comes with a death penalty, uh, then no, there is no forgiveness in this world. That's what the death penalty is. It's it's, it's punishment for the crime. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there can't be repentance, uh, which will take effect in the next world. So, uh, I believe, if, if I'm if I'm remember correctly, Matthew's version of this, he actually does say in this he world. He does say that, it, yeah, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this world or the world or the world to come. Right. Okay. So this is a very, and I'm, as soon as I say this, if you haven't thought of it already, you're going to be like, oh, yeah. This is a very common trope in uh, Pharisaic Judaism over exaggeration. They will, like, Pharisees will do this thing. Hyperbole. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> they over exaggerated. All they, Pharisees talked like Trump. <laughs> I mean, they kind of did. Uh, it was it was to demonstrate the seriousness of a particular offense, and it was never meant to be taken literally. So they would say things like, "He who speaks a single word of lashon hara has no place in the world to come." That's no, you don't take that literally. Uh, if you speak a single word of gossip, you you you're now no the, the keys to heaven are taken from you. No, it's to demonstrate the severity. And, well, um, and so this exact wording is in the Talmud. It's in Tractate Sanhedrin 10. Uh, and among those who are excluded from a share in the world to come is he who pronounces the name according to its letters. And so that's the rabbis, again, saying the same thing that Yeshua is saying here, that, you, you know, you blaspheme the holy name of God, the Holy Spirit, whatever circumlocution you choose, um, that you have no share in the world to come. That's not meant to be taken hyper-literally. Well, you know, it could, but here, here's the problem, right? To acknowledge that uh, and then take it to the extreme of it can't be repented of, 
is to misunderstand the function of what repentance is, right? And for for those watching who have been following through Tanya this year, right? You'll you'll understand, especially since the 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 idea being that uh, one becomes a tzaddik in the moment of repentance, right? 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 Then and there, there is perfect righteousness uh, for that moment. Uh, you're you're no longer the same person, right? You, you're not the same person that you were. So that person doesn't have a place in the world to come. The person you are in the moment of repentance does, hmm. right? Because you're you're not the same person at that point. You died to yourself. You're How born about again. It? <laughs> <laughs> All Jewish concepts. <laughs> oh, but yeah, you you could say pronouncing the name is a a uh, huge sin <laughs> i'm bad i'm i'm cutting i'm cutting it short now we're we're done here <laughs> i'm just kidding we're still here right. <laughs> questions let's open the chat <laughs> yeah i was going to say let's take some questions we're, um <laughs> we're move on from that if you got any questions ask us now we got a couple of questions in here one i wanted i want to actually right here. This is actually a good question. I've heard this case as well. Uh, and this is a case that some other New Testament scholars have addressed in the past. Um, the problem is this is a, this is sort of a theory by lesser known scholars. The majority of scholarship agrees that this quite, this doesn't quite make sense in the sense that the power has never been used ever as a type of circumlocution for the Holy name. Um, the theory would make a little bit more sense if the Holy Spirit, or even just if God were being used, like Theos, um, in the Greek text. But the fact that it does not have any of the common or any regular circumlocution at all, this has been largely dismissed. Um, and so the, the dominating theory still stands that uh, the Sadducees considered, uh, and, and, and that's something that we, we have to address too a little bit. Yeshua was falsely accused. That comes up more and more and more as you read the New Testament. The whole point is he was an innocent man falsely accused. If he had actually said the name, that's not a false accusation. But the right. whole point is that he was falsely accused and killed for a false accusation. And, uh, and so, yeah. Additionally to that, right, we, we're told what the witnesses who were brought against him attested to. And this is not one of them. Right, we we know for a fact that this would have been considered a crime, um, and that this would be a valid charge if he did say the name. Correct. Um, but we also know that there have to be witnesses to attest to the to to this kind of blasphemy, and none of the witnesses that are brought before the court attest to this kind of blasphemy. Well, uh, the the idea is uh, a lot of witnesses come before and they couldn't get anything to stick. Actually, the only thing. Uh, which is another point we bring up. Yeshua never claimed to be God. If he did, that's an easy, easy death penalty. Um, but he never did. Every every witness that came forward even tried that. Um, but they were all false witnesses. They were all dismissed as not being legitimate witnesses. Um, and so they couldn't get that to stick. They couldn't get any of it to stick. The only thing they could get to stick was when he basically says, I'm going to usurp Caesar uh, and to a Sadducee. That's blasphemy to them. This is one of those things where like, you know, like Christians today, you ask them what blasphemy is, they're going to get a bunch of different answers. It's kind of the similar thing. Uh, the the Sanhedrin in Jesus' day happens to be basically a phony Sanhedrin being run right. by the Romans. 
Um, the Sanhedrin so, and the priesthood. Yeah, and so there are a lot of things that would normally go down in the Sanhedrin not happening in this Sanhedrin at all. Um, the, uh, another example of this is um, the, the the oaths thing. Um, why do you transgress the commandment of God with your traditions? You uh, th Okay, this is, uh, I can't remember the exact passage. Um, it's the hand-washing ordeal, right? And then he, he basically says, well, you know, you guys allow people to make vows to not give their father and mother any any uh, financial help by making a vow saying that whatever you would have gained from me is an offering, is korban. Um, now, the Sanhedrin has previously already ruled that that is not a legitimate vow. You are not allowed to vow specifically that any any financial help you would get from me to your parents would immediately become an offering of korban, korbanot to the temple. That is not okay, uh, and and it's it's in the it's in the oral tradition. This is actually Yeshua upholding the oral tradition. He says, "No, that's we have already established that you can't do that, but you guys are allowing it to happen. You're letting it happen," and that was his charge against the, the Pharisees at that time in his day. Uh, and so it's it's one of those like we we know that this particular Sanhedrin is not doing things the way that they ought to be. Uh, I've said a hundred times, and I'll continue to say it. Had Yeshua been alive at any other point in history, he, he likely would not, would have, not been have been controversial. Killed. Yep, he would not have been killed. Um, and so it is a an incredibly unique blip in Jewish history where he shows up and he is one of the few and only people to be killed on a false accusation with a wrong charge for all the wrong reasons. Because in regular Judaism, My it's like, oh, you think court. you're Messiah? Big deal. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, so so wrongly charged with a false accusation by a phony court, like yeah, uh, it, with, with with only a little over half of the judges actually present on a holiday, you know, like it was it was a totally bad like that it would never go down that way in any other point in history, um, but it was a totally crony system. So, yep. Um, I guess no one's got questions. Which is fine. Hey, we can jump to the after part as faster. We can. So, um, let's see here. All yeah, it's, uh, we're at 54 minutes, so that makes sense. We can go ahead and start to, uh, I guess, wind down. So, uh, what we'll do here, we'll do the normal. If you haven't yet, please uh, hit the like button. Don't forget to like. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. So, bless the like button and... Um, Baruch, the subscribe button. <laughs> um, I, I am going to change that. I'm going to come up with something different. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, whatever. Anyway, I still yep. actually have it as a as a scroll, scroller here. In Omni Pathy and Feely. Um, <laughs> if you want to support the channel, uh, you know, the best, easiest and, and freest, and uh, most you can uh, honestly do is hit the like button and subscribe to the channel. That helps us yep. out a lot. If you want to do uh, a little more, we also have a Patreon. Um, if you're feeling generous, membership starts at a dollar, about to go into the after partes. If you have a Patreon membership, you get immediate access to the after partes, uh, which is where you get to hang out with us post-show. Um, and you can roast us, ask us questions. You can sit in awkward silence with us. Whatever it is you want to do, you pay for that time. Um, Still, nobody takes us up on the roast. I've been waiting I'm, for that to happen. I'm excited to be roasted. I want to be roasted. I'm always let down. 
Oh, I had a meme of the week. That's right. We need to start doing the meme of the week. There have been some good ones. All right, I got this. Uh, I'm going to pull up this meme here, and I'm going to share it. Wait a second. Share screen window. This is the meme of the... So let me get rid of this. Uh, boom. Meme of the week. <laughs> Reserved for deep study of Galatians. <laughs> yes. It's uh, it's great. scarily true, of course. So I was like, oh, that's that's good. So uh, congratulations, Thunderdome AA Ron. You are this week's winner of Meme of the Week. Uh, if you want to contribute, and uh, I try to find original memes, repost memes. I, I try not to uh, give too much credit to, but if you come up with a great original meme, you'll be featured. Um, and so here you go. That's your Meme of the Week. <laughs> and... Uh, we also, oh, so the discord question. what's up not a bad question what's a good book for beginner believers in the messianic faith restoration 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 and um it is often said that's a series of books yeah but they're small collectively they're still smaller than restoration yeah that's, that's true Basically four pamphlets. Um, yeah, that's a great. Restoration is easily my favorite. I, I reread that book so regularly; it's so good. Um, so if you want in the after parties, pardes, um, you got to join the Discord, Discord.gg/alternatemedia, um, and of course after pardes in the Discord. All of those uh, Discord, Patreon, everything is uh, is is below in the in the. Um, in the doobly dab below, whatever. I can't think right now. Um, Comment section <laughs> below. Ah, yeah, yeah the, the doobly dab, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> so I think I think that's going to be it for us um, for tonight. So for those of you who are members, we will see you in the after part as, and um, everybody else, I guess you have a good night. Yep. Um, I guess, yeah. Summarize the episode. Blasphemy bad. Don't say the name. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually really a good summary. Blasphemy is more or less pronouncing and cursing God's names or titles or explicitly and saying. avoid the appearance of evil. And definitely don't intentionally transgress um, out of spite. Uh, yeah, don't do that. Yeah, don't, 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 don't do that. Don't it's bad. That it's God. bad for you. That's a form of, uh, yeah. That's that, that, I, I, I like that. I, th I think that's, <laughs> I think that's gonna be like one of my new one of my new phrases. That's bad, and it's bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> it's bad for you. You shouldn't do that. All right, but what is good for you though is to raise a glass, have a good evening, lachaim, <laughs> lachaim. <laughs>